Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. Let's uh, open our Bibles and locate the book of Joel. And I'll give you a minute to do that. You might need to use your uh, index, your contents. I don't you sitting there with Jonah open pretending. <laughs> That's what I mean. Um, you know, just read a piece of scripture that we would normally read quoted in the New Testament, but let's read it at its source. It's Joel chapter 2. And Joel is hidden between... Hosea and Amos, the Bible. Joel 2 and verse 28, and afterwards I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your old men will dream dreams, your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now just move forward into the New Testament, please, to Matthew chapter 3. Matthew's Gospel chapter 3. And verse 11. We cut into the middle of some dialogue. The dialogue is John the Baptist speaking, and he says this. Referring to Jesus Christ, he says, I, that's John, baptize you with water, for repentance. But after me will come one uh, who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. I want to... uh, in a sense, continue something we began a couple of weeks ago. But if you weren't here a couple of weeks ago, it doesn't really matter because it stands alone anyway. We've been talking about what is a Pentecostal church. You may know, uh, brackets, you may not know, close brackets, that this is a Pentecostal church. And... Um, What is it that makes a church Pentecostal? Because it sure isn't the name above the door. (laughs) Because you can paint anything above a door. You can put anything on a website. What is it that, I mean, you can go back home and put, put McDonald's on your front door, but it doesn't turn it into a McDonald's. It's just a name. What is it that makes a church a Pentecostal church? And we began to explore this. Last time we looked at all the things that go on in a Pentecostal church normally. Things like people being loud, 
um, shouting, hands in the air, singing, and all those sorts of things. And I, I took a long time to take you through the Bible and show you that all of these things are in the Bible. It's not something that we've kind of made up because we like it this way. Uh, in, and it's not something that we do because it's in our culture, because it is not in the British culture for men to jiggle around on a Sunday morning, jumping up and down. It's not. It's something that comes out of the Bible. And uh, I encourage you, if you weren't at that uh, uh, meeting a few weeks ago, that you do check that one out online. What I want to do today is just to continue in this, with this topic for a while. One of the reasons why I wanted to do this at this particular season in the church's life is because really it slowly dawned on me that over a period of maybe, maybe three, four years, I don't know, what had happened is folks had attached themselves to King's Church who were not necessarily Pentecostal people at all, uh, either in their ideas or, or perhaps more significantly for what we're talking about today, their experience had not been a Pentecostal experience. And uh, you may be sitting in a church like this just hoping that one day it will all calm down. And it, and it really won't. So, so I, I don't want you to have false ideas about that. Um, in terms of what is biblical, what is biblical must stay. And God says, uh, clap your hands, all you people, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. So we know what we have to do. We know what we have to do. What I want to talk about today is particularly the, the topic of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And um, this is something that we were looking at Thursday evening here in our, on our course. But I wanted to bring this to you today. Now, I need to just make an apology before I begin. That this morning I am going to break one of my cardinal rules. Whenever I train or uh, mentor preachers, as I'm particularly going to start to do in September, as many of you know, um, one of the things I tell them is, whatever you do, don't have the people flicking through their Bible all the way through. I always tell people that. Don't say, right, let's turn here, let's turn here, and let's turn here, because by the end, everyone's just pretending they're where you're claiming. But just for once, that's what we're going to do today. So I hope you have your Bible in front of you. And uh, we are going to go through the Bible. I want to show you some things in your Bible uh, pertaining to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And then when I've finished speaking, we will ask the Lord to visit us. And I'm going to ask the Lord to baptize people here in the Holy Spirit. I have a, a friend. I couldn't always call him a friend because he was my teacher one time. Uh, but he's a friend now. And uh, everywhere he went, he talked about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And almost, probably not every time, but almost everyone he put his hands upon was filled with the Holy Spirit. Almost every time. And one, one day, a group of students came to him and said to him, we want you to pray for us because you obviously have an amazing gift. An amazing gift. And we want you to impart it to us. You know, give it to us. And he said, no, I won't. And they looked at him like, what? What's going on? You won't? No, I won't. He said, because I don't have a gift. 
He said, the reason why people are baptized in the Spirit when I minister to them is because before I minister to them, I teach them first from their Bible. And then God will confirm his word. And that's what we're going to do today. I want to talk to you about the baptism in the Spirit. Some of you know exactly what we're talking about. You've been baptized in the Spirit already. You have an experience like that. And others have not had that experience. And the people who haven't had that experience are normally in two camps. One group of people who really want the baptism in the Spirit and the other group of people who don't really want the baptism in the Spirit. And um, I want to encourage everyone who's not received the, the empowering of the Holy Spirit as we're going to talk about today. I want to encourage you to get hungry. I want to encourage you that through listening to the Word today and understanding what it's all about, that is going to be a huge uh, step forward for you in receiving your own flame from heaven in your life. So, first of all, uh, thinking about this topic, the baptism in the Spirit, we should, of course, say that Pentecostal Christians understand, and I believe correctly, that the experience of God is sort of, well, manifold, manifold, but particularly twofold. One is that we first become Christians. We first say, I want Jesus to be my Savior. And then after we have made Jesus our Savior, we express that in a very public way by being baptized in water. And then after that, after that experience, and sometimes God can move ahead of this experience, but this is the normal pattern. First of all, you get saved. Then you get baptized in water. And then, thirdly, you receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The baptism with water <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> is something we can easily set up. It can be set up by man. You can roll out a tank, open the tank, fill it with water, and in you go. The baptism of the Spirit is supernatural. You can't make it happen. God himself does it. But we have to be hungry, and we have to ask him for it. The baptism in the Spirit. Here we go. Number one, the promise of the baptism. In the Bible, there is, and please have your Bible ready, keep your engine on. You know what I'm saying? Don't turn your engine off. Keep your Bible engine on. In the Bible, it is clear that there is a promise that Jesus wants to baptize people in the Holy Spirit. Now, when we think about baptism in water, we can sort of understand what that might mean. You go into the water. The water surrounds you. Well, perhaps just to make it very easy today, let's say the same thing. When we are baptized in the Spirit, the Spirit, we are plunged into the presence and power of the Spirit. He surrounds us and fills us. He comes upon us. All these terms are all interchangeable for the same thing. The Spirit uh, is surrounding us, filling us, empowering us. Just as Jesus said, John the Baptist says, I'm baptizing you today with water. But someone's coming after me. He's talking about Jesus, isn't he? And he's going to, 
He's going to plunge you, immerse you in the Holy Spirit. Well, it's a good promise. And then we flick forward to Luke chapter 24. Just move forward to Luke chapter 24. Where we see the, if you like, some of the final words of Jesus to his, to his disciples. He's going to leave them. He's been raised from the dead. It's a few weeks after Easter. He's now going to be, he's now going to go into heaven. But before he leaves them, he says, now I want you to go. And I want you to make disciples of all nations. I've got a job for you now. Go and preach the gospel everywhere in the world. But don't go yet. Because... Verse 48, you are witnesses of these things and I am going to send you, verse 49 of Luke 24, I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. They weren't to do anything until they received this baptism. Nothing. It was clear to Jesus that they were not capable of fulfilling their mission in life without the power of the Holy Spirit. And if that's true for them, boy oh boy, that's going to be true for me. It's not that they weren't capable of anything, but they weren't going to be capable of what God had for them without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. You can talk all you like about destiny and what gifts you've got. And some of these things are really helpful. But without the power, you're not going to go anywhere. You need power. I had a friend and he ran a hotel. And uh, someone came for the job as cleaner. Listen to this. You'll like this. He came for a job as a cleaner. And he said, right, I want you to do uh, room, room two to six between this hour, and then I want you to do room seven to 12 between this hour. And the lady who he was interviewing said, well, I can't do that. I haven't got long enough. He said, well, surely you could just hoover the, you know, if you use the hoover. She said, I'm sorry, I do not use a hoover. He said, what are you talking about? I do not use a hoover. She was allergic to hoovers. Something like that. I, I, don't, I, I don't do hoovering. Well, I said, how are you going to clean? Well, I'll get down with a dustpan and brush. He's thinking, well, great. But I need you to do this before 12 o'clock. And you see, the woman could have spent all day with a dustpan and brush in his hotel. But what he needed her to do was to get on with it with the power behind her of a hoover. Now, it's a really simple story. It's a true story. And you might be able to achieve some things in life, but you're not going to achieve what God wants you to achieve without the anointing of the Holy Spirit. You can't bear fruit without the power of the Spirit. It's possible to build a great church without the Holy Spirit. I bet you knew that, didn't you? Yes, it is. It's possible to have a ministry without the power. It's possible. But it's not what God wants. It's not what God wants. He says to them, stay 
here, don't go anywhere until you've received this empowerment. So it must be important. Now go to Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. And then we're going to stay in Acts for about half an hour today. And we'll be done. Acts chapter 1. And really, it's just a kind of a repeat. Acts chapter 1 of verse 4. He says, on, this, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days... You will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Again, he says, don't do anything until the Holy Spirit has come upon you. The baptism in the Spirit. So there's a definite promise. And what's beautiful, here's another verse that I hadn't put on the, uh, on the wall. But go to Acts chapter 2 and verse 39. Verse 38, Acts 2, 38, 39. The people say to Peter after he's preached to them, what shall we do? What are we going to do? And he says, I want you to repent, verse 38, and be baptized, that's baptized in water, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. When he said to them, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, he was telling a group of people who had just seen another group of people receive the gift of the Holy Spirit with speaking in tongues and phenomena and fire. He said, if you will, if you will believe and if you will be baptized, if you will come to Christ, you are also going to receive this same gift that we have received. And just in case they thought to themselves, well, we're not really qualified comes this amazing verse which must be underlined if you're in your Bible if it isn't already. Verse 39, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. For all who are far off, what? Even, even, in, uh, even in Trumpington, Cambridge, yes. Even in Arbury, Cambridge, yes. Even in Huntington, yes. As many as the Lord will call, as far away as they may be, here is the promise that it's for you. Not just for some special elite group of people who like shouting, but for you. As many as the Lord our God will call, wherever they may be. Now, let's move on to number two. What about possessing the Spirit? How do we receive this baptism? What do we do? Because if you wanted to be um, baptized in water, what would you do? You'd, you'd sign a list and show up one day in your bathing costume with a towel and a friend who would take pictures. That's what you would do. If you want to be baptized in water, you just talk to someone. Can I be baptized, please? Yes, you can. Are you free the 12th? Yes. Show up in your bathing costume. In you go. You can arrange it. You could put it in your diary. But how do you receive a supernatural baptism? How, how does that happen? We were looking on, uh, on Thursday night at the very first 
modern occurrence of people being baptized in the Spirit, a small group of believers, mostly black believers, uh, from the wrong side of town, meeting in an old house, and the Holy Spirit fell in that house, and people began speaking in other tongues. The very first occurrence on the 1st of January 1901, a lady called Agnes Osmond was so filled with the Holy Spirit that she spoke in Chinese for three days. When they said to Agnes, can you talk to us? She couldn't talk to them. She could only talk in Chinese. It was fine if your friends were Chinese, I suppose. But they were not. They said, Agnes, I'll tell you what, why don't you write it down? Watch this. Look at me. They said, why don't you write it down? Write down what you want to say. And she wrote in Chinese. Woo! That's a bit more than, oh, I, I think I felt something there. Isn't it? That's the power of God. That's the power. Of, that's, that's the real thing. That's the real thing. Possessing the spirit baptism. I want to take you through the book of Acts. I want to show you some things. The Pentecostals began to suggest, and we still suggest today, and it's still true today, that while the Holy Spirit did indeed come and live inside people when they got saved, because if a man follows Jesus, God comes to live in him. Yet there was a further experience, a subsequent experience. And I, this is very widely believed today, but a hundred years ago it was not. People got into a lot of trouble for suggesting it. You can respond and receive Jesus as your saviour, but there's more than that. There is receiving the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've not had that experience, you can say to me, well, does the Holy Spirit live in me or not? Absolutely. The Bible says those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. You can't become a Christian without the Holy Spirit being involved. So I don't need to be upset and say, well, is God not living in me? If you are following Jesus, God is living in you. But there is a subsequent experience. There's, there's more for you to have than that. And we're going to see, as the Spirit came, they began to speak in tongues. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. I love that. A flame for every head. And all of them, verse 4, how many of them? All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. How many of them were filled with the Holy Spirit? All of them. How many of them, having received the Holy Spirit, spoke in tongues? All of them did. 
There wasn't one guy at the back going, I don't think I've got it. They all did it. So how many people were there? Traditionally 120, but we don't really know that. But we'll say 120. 120 people received the Holy Spirit. How many of them spoke in tongues? 120 of them spoke in tongues. It was a complete jackpot. All of them. Now we move forward to Acts chapter 10. We'll hold on on Acts chapter 8 a moment. Acts chapter 10. Verse 44. And Peter is preaching to a a little group of Gentiles. It's a rather strange meeting because he's not even sure he should even be there. Because they're not Jewish. So he's got some racial tension going on here. Some racial prejudice in his own mind, I ought to add. It was his problem. It wasn't God's problem. But in verse 44... While Peter was still speaking these words, he hadn't finished his sermon at all. And really that's most unkind of God, not to let Peter get to point seven. But while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. Well, we don't know how many were there, but a little group of people in a house. And the circumcised believers, the Jews, who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. And we want to know, how did they know that the Holy Spirit had been poured out on them? Because it doesn't say the place was full of wind. It doesn't say that fire appeared uh, in the rafters of the building. It didn't. So how did they know that these people had received the gift of the Spirit? Because, in verse 46, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. The fact that Peter could go, wow, these people have got the real thing, was because he heard them speaking in tongues. And now, if you go to Acts chapter 11, just the next chapter, where he has to go to like an interrogation to say, what are you, you know, what's been happening with you? Why did this happen? And he begins to tell them, and we pick it up in verse 15 of Acts 11. He says, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us at the beginning. Well, what does he mean? He means that, he doesn't mean there was fire in the, in, in the sky. He doesn't mean there was wind in the house. He means that they spoke in tongues. He says, as I began to speak, verse 15, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us. At the beginning, and I remembered what the Lord had said, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So if God gave them the same gift as he gave us, who believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I to think that I could oppose God? How did Peter know that they received the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? He did not know they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they told him they had. He did not think they had received the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they went, ooh, ooh. Nope, that's good. We don't mind you doing that, but that that wasn't it. They did not fall down. Ooh, they're falling down. That's it. They've, They've, you know, got it. I don't mind if you fall down. Don't fall on anyone. But I don't mind if you fall down. 
One time I went to a meeting where everyone was falling down and there was a lady in front of me, a very large lady. They came to pray for Lord more. And I was behind her going, less, less Lord. <laughs> I think I'll receive from the Lord over here. <laughs> this is nice, over here. I won't be killed here. How did he know that they had received the Holy Spirit? Because they spoke in tongues. That's, that's, that's how he knew. There may have been other things that happened. But that's what he saw. And Peter understood if they are speaking in tongues, they must have received the same gift that we've received. There may have been other things that happened. Here we know that they praised God. But that wasn't the sign. It was the speaking in tongues. Now go to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19. And verses 1 to 7. This is a set of verses that upset people who do not believe in the baptism in the Spirit, and I'll show you why. While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and he asked them this, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What sort of question is that? Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? What sort of question is that? If receiving the Holy Spirit when you believed was default. But it wasn't default. It wasn't default then. And it's not default now. Paul says to them, you are Christians. That's marvelous. Okay, now let me ask you another question. When you became Christians, did you receive the Holy Spirit? For Paul to even ask such a question means that it is possible and a good question to ask people. <laughs> when you believed, did you receive the, the baptism of the Spirit? And they say, we never heard of the Holy Spirit. That's what they say. Is that right? Yeah. No. We've not even heard of the Holy Spirit. So, so it's no wonder they hadn't received. And it's exactly like what my friend said. If you teach people, they will understand. So they say, no, we've, we've never heard of the Holy Spirit. So he wants to know, okay, what baptism you receive? Yes, baptized by John, okay. And then he explains to them about Jesus and on hearing this, verse 5, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. How many of them were there? 12. How many did he pray for? All 12 of them. How many of them spoke in tongues? All 12 of them. We're beginning to get a pattern here. Now you notice, some of them also prophesied. So there are other things that can happen at the baptism of the Spirit. On one occasion, there was fire. On another occasion, in Acts 4, the place shook. On another occasion, they praised God. On this occasion, they prophesied. But all the time, they spoke in other tongues. Now, let me take you to 
One more from the book of Acts, and it's Acts chapter 8. Go back to Acts chapter 8, where we get something of the same idea, but I want to unpack it with you and show you something. Because you may have a friend, or even worse than that, a website that you know, that says to you, no, no, you don't have to speak in tongues at the baptism. You can do anything you like, or you can do other things. You don't have to speak in tongues. And what they do is they bring out this chapter and bring it as exhibit A. Look at this, where it didn't happen. And I'm going to explain why that view could well be wrong. In Acts chapter 8, we pick it up in verse 14, and we get the same sort of idea. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that in Samaria they had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to them. When they arrived... They prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. Verse 16, because the Holy Spirit had not yet come upon any of them. Look at me. Isn't this the same thing? They were Christians. They had received the word of God. Yes. They were preached to by the evangelist in Samaria, Philip. He was a, you know, a, good, you know, a good bloke. He got them saved. But they had not received the extra. They had been saved, but they had not received the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And the apostles have to go on a great long journey to Samaria to touch them so that it can happen. They can't even send Philip a letter saying, now look, this is what you do. Stand him in the line and get someone to play how great thou art. No, they have to go and do it themselves. In Acts chapter 8, it is clear, once again, that a man, a woman can become a Christian, but they do not, at that moment necessarily, receive the empowering of the Holy Spirit straight away. It is something which is subsequent to, to conversion, to Christianity. So they arrive... And verse 17, Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Now, this is what people who don't like this, this doctrine say. They say, look, it just says they received the Holy Spirit. It doesn't say that anything happened. So, there you go, there's one example where they prayed for them. And they received the Holy Spirit, but there was no outward display. Nothing tangible. No tongues. Nothing. They say, so you see, you don't have to have an experience. You don't have to have anything happen to you. You can just receive by faith. Receive the Holy Spirit. Yes, I do. I've got it by faith. Amen. Off I go. And they say, look, here's a verse that proves it, but it does not. Look at the next verse. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given at the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money and said, Give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, who was Simon? Well, look at the early part of the verses here. Verse 9. Simon practiced sorcery in the city. Look at that. 
and he amazed all the people of Samaria. He boasted he was someone great, and all the people, both high and low, gave him their attention and exclaimed, This man is the divine power known as the great power. And they followed him because he amazed them for a long time with his magic. Now listen, here was a guy, we're not talking about a street magician now. Pick a card. What card was it? Was it the ace of clubs? Yes. Ooh. We're not talking about, I'm going to take the five pound note away and it's going to appear in that lemon over there. Go, I don't know how he did that. We're talking about someone who walked around with power. I mean, we're not talking about TV magicians. I'm talking about power. He had power. He amazed people with his magic, but not just so they'd clap and go, how did he do that? He amazed them with his magic so much that they called him the divine power. They thought he wasn't human. They thought he was some sort of supernatural creature. And we don't know how he did the magic, whether some demons involved in his life, something like that. Who, who knows? But we're talking about someone who knew about power. He had performed magic acts. Genuine, supernatural magic. What do you think would make him, him, not you, him, take out his money and put it at the feet of the apostles and say, please can I have this ability? What, what, what would it be? For him, a great and genuine evil dark magician, for him, to think that the apostles had greater power than he. I tell you what, it wouldn't have been nothing happened. When Simon saw that the Spirit came on them at the laying on of their hands, he wanted to buy that. So I tell you what didn't happen. They came to the front. The apostles touched them. They said, thank you very much. And they went back to their seat. I wanted to imagine a group of people come out the front and I walk along and I touch them, receive the Holy Spirit. Thank you. And they go back to their seat. There ain't no one who's going to walk in through that door and go, Pete, I want to work with you at the end. I'll give you 20,000 pounds if you just tell me how you did it. No one would do that. But I tell you what you would be amazed at. Is if as he touched them, they they began to speak in other tongues. That's impossible. That's impossible. He could do all sorts of tricks, but that they would have supernatural power when he touched them. That was, that was impossible. When Simon saw that the Spirit was given, he wanted to buy it. So something very special must happen. And I suggest to you that all the other evidence in Acts tells us that it is, of course, 
speaking in tongues. Go back to Luke chapter 11. Luke's gospel chapter 11. I'm almost done. People have problems with the spirit baptism. Some people think it's going to hurt them. Or, you know, they're going to get an evil spirit or something like this. Well, when I ask my father for a gift, I do not get a devil. And if you believe that if you ask God for a special heavenly gift, that you're going to receive a devil, you don't have the same God as me. You have a totally different God. Because that's not, that's not my father. You've made up a God uh, of your own image there. You've made one up. You, you haven't got the Bible God. Jesus said in Luke uh, chapter 11, and you know this little piece of the Bible really very well. I say to you, verse 9, ask and it will be given. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. Many people have come and tried to have this experience, excuse me, before. And they've been disappointed. Nothing happened. Something like that. And so after a while you say, well, nothing's happened. It can't be God's will. Well, it, it just it, it is God's will. And we're supposed to ask and seek and knock. It took me 11 months to receive the baptism of the Spirit. 11 months. So if it doesn't happen for you in 11 minutes, uh, let me tell you, you might have a bit longer to go than that. By that I mean this. I began to ask God, please will you fill me, please. And I never really understood what to do. They would call me to the front, and some of you may know exactly what I'm talking about now. And they gather around you and they say, Right, just speak in tongues, go on. <laughs> and you know, you're trying to be polite in that. But you're thinking, Well, I can't, you know what I'm saying? If I could, I wouldn't be here, would I? It's impossible. You may have been to rocking and rolling churches before where they come and pray for you but instead of just praying for them they like to rock you and roll you around at the front like this. And uh, I don't know whether this actually happened but I heard a story of a guy who went to receive the Holy Spirit and the elders gathered around him at the front of his house group or something and they were just rocking him around like this. Come on! And one guy shouted out, Hold on! Hold on! And the other guy shouts out, let go, let go. I don't know what I'm doing. You can just go back to you, you just hope it's going to be over soon. Hopefully they get tired and go away. Please, no more prayer. I want to tell you that receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit is impossible. That's why it's a miracle. It's impossible because it's a miracle. All miracles are impossible. But here's what you have to do. You have to come to Jesus like a child. You almost have to take your, your mind off the hook. And you just have to come with a childlike faith. 
And when you receive, as some of you are going to in a moment, don't analyze it then. You can analyze it later. But don't analyze it then. Allow it to occur then. If you if you it's analysis and you want to go away, what, what happened there? Analyze it later, but don't analyze it now. You ever kissed a girl and analyzed it? At the time, I mean. Those of you who are married here, I want you to go home. I want you to kiss your wife today. But while you're kissing her, I want you to analyze how many diseases there are in the human mouth. <laughs> or perhaps you shouldn't do that. Maybe you can analyze it later. But at the time, maybe you should just take your brain off the hook. Yeah, of course not. I know what it is to come out and receive prayer for the baptism and people were all around me and I felt like I had to perform for them. They're going, come on! They were, what do I do? You know, what do I do? Shall I make up some words? I'll have a shandy. No, we don't drink here. I'll have a shandy. Who stole my Honda? No, no, it's not tongues. You're asking who stole your Honda. People, you know, put people under pressure. No, but you, but you do have to take your, your mind off the hook. It's what Jesus said. He said, ask, seek, knock. And he says, which of you, verse 11 of Luke 11, which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And just for the theologians listening to me now, did you just see that again? How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit? So the Holy Spirit is a subsequent experience to being a Christian. The baptism of the Spirit is a subsequent experience. It happens afterwards. It can happen very quickly afterwards. It can happen 10 years afterwards. It normally depends which church you're in and what you're taught. Because you're a product of what you're taught. Let me finish just with this. I got a bit more, but I'll do, I'll do it next week. Uh, a friend of mine won a competition. Uh, can I borrow a Bible? Uh, someone just lend me a Bible. Thank you. He won a competition. And, uh, not quite, you're going to be the shopkeeper. Um, and his prize was a Bible. Which was odd because he was a Bible teacher. He probably had a Bible. But he won a Bible. And um, so the person who was running the competition went out. They First of all, they made a promise to him, you've won a Bible. Hooray. And then they went out and they purchased the Bible 
from a shop. And then there was a special moment in church or in a school, I think it may have been, and they presented the Bible. Jen, come and help me if you will. They presented the Bible to him. And finally, he possessed the Bible. It's Ida's. Actually, it looks like one of the churches. I think we may have purchased this. Hang on there, Jenny. So first of all, it was promised, we're going to get you a Bible. Then it was purchased. Then it was presented. And finally, it was possessed. The gift of the Spirit is exactly the same. First of all, it's been promised. One's coming after me, he'll baptize you. Joel said it. In the last days I pour out my spirit. It was promised. Wait in the city until you receive the gift of my father. Then it was purchased. How do you think it was purchased? On the cross of Calvary. Purchased on the cross of Calvary with the blood of Jesus. On the day of Pentecost... The gift was presented. Here it is. For as many as the Lord our God will call. And then finally, it was possessed. Possessed by me in February 1989. It's been promised. It's been purchased. It's been presented. But now you've got to do your bit. You've got to come and possess the gift. And you possess by faith. Thank you for listening. And we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes we would love you to leave us some feedback God bless and goodbye